Bright Wall Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3. The Bright Wall Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. If you'd like to help out production, go to patreon.com slash empty square to become an official backer. The kids now clear the registration desk. I walked up to the officer in charge and asked for an officer, uh, Karen. Oh, I see, he said. You know, you're not the first person to come around here asking about her. Every so often, we get somebody, usually around your age, coming in to ask us about Kimberly. Always comes with a story, too. See, the last guy, I'll call him Tom. Tom came in with very wide-eyed, shocked expression on his face, came in asking for Karen, came in with his crazy story. Apparently, one day he was driving down the road and saw this lady pulled over to the side of the road. Smoke billowing out of her car, baby crying on her arm, standing in the rain, desperately waving somebody down. So Tommy pulled over. Good guy, Tommy. Wanted to see what he could do. Wanted to help her out. So he steps out and she starts thanking him over and over and over and over again. See, apparently she had been there for about an hour waiting desperately for someone to help. Ain't that just like people? Won't even spend ten seconds to pull over and help out their fellow man. Anyway, she's just begging and begging for help, and she gets ignored, and her baby is hungry. She got to go home after a long day of work. She said she was a police officer for the Brightwall PD. Now, Tommy here had no idea what Brightwall even was. He was just doing this out of the kindness of his heart. She could have done anything for a living. All her car needed was a jump. Luckily, Tommy was always prepared, had jumper cables in the back. He was a Boy Scout when he was younger. And just like that, that quick, the car started working again. She's super thankful, starts telling him another story about how her husband abandoned her and her child. Just the other week, she didn't have enough money to get by a single salary isn't enough to raise a child. Especially for a local police department, we get paid peanuts in comparison to the big city cops anyway. Tommy hears her out. He's sympathetic to her and hands her a hundred dollar bill. Says, I know it's not much, but hopefully it's just a little bit to get you by. She asks, why? Why are you being so nice? I can't give you anything in return. And he says, don't worry about it. Think of it as karma. Today you, and who knows, tomorrow me. And she gets in her car, thanks him a million more times, and eventually drives off. He watches just to make sure she gets a fair distance before he gets in his own car and takes himself home. So Tommy's home now. Safe and sound and feeling good about himself, about the good deed and putting good fortune out into the world. Goes to sleep. And in the dream... He checks the mail, his dream mail, and he has a check for $2.5 million in his mailbox, more money than he had ever seen in all of his life. That was his student loans paid off. He could buy a car. He could buy his mom a house. Tom is living up the good life in his dream. He wakes up a little 
disappointed. Like you do when you wake up from a particularly good dream, but he's not bitter. He's just happy he got to have that experience, even unconscious. He wakes up, gets himself some coffee, makes himself some breakfast, checks his mail, and guess what's inside? A check for $2.5 million signed by Karen with a memo saying, Today you, tomorrow me. Now Tommy's beside himself. No way this happens. This has got to be a trick. Got to be some sort of a misprint. A mistake, if you will. So he goes to the bank dumbfounded. But he keeps his hope in check. Because he's pretty sure there's something amiss. Maybe it's a viral marketing stunt for some new movie or something. Goes to cash the check and the check clears. Bank teller verifies it and everything. Tom is now a multi-millionaire, and even he can't believe it. All this for helping out a lady on the side of the road? Impossible. Can't be. He's got to go talk to her. So he comes into the Brightwall PD, like I said, all wild-eyed and dumbfounded, trying to ask for a Karen. He needs a Karen. He has to talk to Karen. Officer in charge says, slow down, son. What's all the trouble? No trouble, he says. And he starts telling the story I just told you. After he's all done, the officer goes real quiet. Tommy can't figure out why. Tommy says, I have to talk to Karen. I have to thank her for all she's done. Officer says he can't talk to Karen. Tommy asks why. Officer says that's the thing. Karen died 30 years ago today waiting on the side of the road. Is any of that true? Someone would have to read it back to me. Yeah, Karen's not working today. Try coming back tomorrow. Fuck you, Lenny. You never let me have any fun. All right, so that's a dead end. At least for tonight, anyway. Honestly, I should be thankful I've gotten as much information as I have without really coming to any giant roadblocks. This is probably as far as I can get for the day. Might as well head back home and get as much rest as I can in this town. Once I finally got back to my little hotel room, I lied down on the lumpy bed for the first time in what felt like forever. I'm pretty sure every single one of my joints popped in succession. This never used to happen to me before. I remember being fairly young, but the longer I stay in Brightwall, it's like I age two days for every one. Maybe everyone feels like this, and I'm just projecting. I always feel like one of those kids on the internet who post things like, Does anybody remember Hey Arnold? Gosh, I'm so old. Like, yeah, dude, everybody remembers Hey Arnold. It was a big show on Nickelodeon. You ain't special. And also, did you know they made a movie? It came out like last year or something. Crazy how they're bringing back like old television shows that have been long canceled for one-time movies. And I still can't get a second season of Manimal. No, I'm not bitter. This is why it's difficult for me to sleep, by the way. I get caught up in my own brain going on long diatribes about nonsense. If I can be honest with you guys for a second... I think I do it on purpose. Like, subconsciously, sure, but I think it's because I don't want to fall asleep anymore. I get... I get I get scared of what's gonna happen next. It's like constantly living with my door unlocked. I, I get no safety or, or privacy anymore. I, I use that to scare myself awake every time. Can't be caught off guard if you're always on guard, right? 
I'm sure this will all be detrimental to my mental health in the long run, but I'm not going to be in Brightwall forever, right? Once I get to the bottom of this, I can safely go home and give myself that peace of mind that I don't feel like I have anymore. I don't remember how long I laid in bed trying to sleep, but the next time I looked at the clock, it was 10 to 12. I hadn't gone to sleep before midnight since I was a teenager, and I guess that streak ain't breaking now. It started to rain outside a little bit. It was honestly kind of refreshing. But a light spring rain soon turned pretty heavy. All I could think of was, man, that parking lot is gonna flood! It is gonna be a pain in the ass getting out of there tomorrow. At least it'll be cooler. Staring at the clock, I remembered something that teacher told me at the police station. The Dead Space Network. It's come up a couple times now in the last couple of days or so. And I was interested in it. Like, I wanted to believe the whole thing was nonsense, sure, but... Like, I want to believe that everything here is nonsense. But at this point, I have seen so much stuff, I can't discount it. It was almost midnight, which is the time, apparently, you're supposed to stare at the screen. So I figured the hell with it. Let's pretend I'm a 12-year-old girl at a sleepover and try to freak myself out. So at 11.59, I sat at the edge of my bed, pointed at the TV, and waited. And I'm here to tell you, I felt like an absolute goober. One of those moments where you think to yourself, how the hell did I get here? What am I doing with my life? My friend Kyle from middle school is a doctor right now, for God's sake, and here I am staring at a blank TV. And not even in a fun way. I tried to play it off like this was a science experiment, but even I couldn't lie to myself like that. The clock ticked over to 12 o'clock. Nothing. How long am I supposed to wait here? Is this like an immediate thing? I, I figured it would be an immediate thing. Maybe it has to know I'm serious. So I started staring at the TV harder and thinking, I'm serious, I'm serious, I'm serious, over and over again, and still nothing. All right, I thought, this is getting silly. I've had enough. I'm only going to sit like this for another, like, 10 to 15 minutes, and if nothing happens, I'm seriously going to rethink what I'm going to do tonight. Then a rumble of thunder. Then a flash of lightning. It startled me for a half a second, because I wasn't expecting it. I was on edge for so long, I didn't think anybody could scare me anymore. And then I noticed the TV was on. Well, that's peculiar. I must have sat on the remote or something. It's uh, a weird coincidence. It's, it's gotta be. But I couldn't stop staring at the static. It was like one of those magic eye things where you stare at a jumbled pattern and see if you can see an image inside of it. I could have sworn that's what I saw. A human figure standing in the middle of the static snow, looking like its hands were above its head, kind of like it was waving somebody over. I got a little bit closer to the screen. I don't know, maybe I thought that the picture would get clearer. I'm not exactly a deep thinker. But it seemed to be waving me over. The figure got larger and larger, as if it was moving towards the screen itself. Now, according to the myth, the Dead Space Network, it's supposed to show you how you die. But the person in the screen didn't look anything like me. They were bulkier, their shoulders were square. It was an older man's build, with a big, sort of square block head. Shorter hair. At least, I thought so anyway. Almost like a... At least I thought so. It's kind of hard to tell when you're looking through static. I moved closer to the screen, and at this point my nose is basically touching it. Trying to get some sort of defining feature from the shapeless blob. The figure got closer and closer as well. 
I could basically be looking into its eyes right now, for all I know. I saw its right arm raised towards the screen, and it began to knock on what would be the glass of the screen. Was it trying to get out? Was it asking my mom if I could come out to play? I wasn't sure how to respond to a TV show knocking at me, so I did the only thing that made sense to me at the time, and I knocked back. And that's when I fell through the screen. It's like having that falling dream that jerks you awake in the middle of the night, complete with a disoriented flailing. I fell through the screen and then downwards towards nothing. I couldn't see where I was headed. I couldn't see where I had been. All I could see was static. I could feel it all around me, making my body numb. I don't know how long it lasted. Five or six seconds felt like five or six hours until I landed hard on the ground. I didn't hurt. I expected it to hurt. Well, I mean, to be honest, I expected it to kill me, but beyond that, I expected it to hurt. But all my limbs were intact. I wasn't cut or bleeding. I didn't even bite my tongue when I hit the ground. Like I landed on a crash pad or something with no give whatsoever, but still cushioning the blow. I wasn't about to question the physics of this new universe that leads down a bad road, and I don't want to think like that right now. I did, however, want to think about where I was and how to get back. I looked around to try to get my bearings straight. It was nighttime and foggy. Very, very foggy. It was hard to see my own hand in front of my face. I see some buildings around me, a car parked off to the side, so I guess I'm in the middle of the street. I stumbled off towards one of the buildings and tried to find the sidewalk, because the last thing I wanted right now was to get my ass kicked by a Volvo. The air felt cold, but also somehow stale. Like when the power goes out for a day or so, and then you open your fridge, it's still cold, but something's definitely wrong. I was tired of walking already. Every step felt like I was walking through quicksand. My muscles started to ache. I started calling out for help. The police, a fire truck. I'll take somebody who played a doctor on TV at this point, but nobody replied. This place was deserted. Like 4am at a Waffle House deserted. I started looking at the buildings I was passing. They all looked slightly familiar. There were all things from Brightwall. The coffee shop, the library, the mayor's office. I was in Brightwall, or some version of it anyway. But I noticed that the signs were different. The buildings were about the same, and the interiors were the same. But the signs weren't in English. They weren't in any language. They were in just some sort of strange, blocky calligraphy. Like the words hadn't rendered in yet. My big bright idea after making this revelation was to go back home. Because if I'm still in Brightwall, the thing that brought me here was the TV in my hotel room. That's probably how I can get back. Or it'll send me inside John Malkovich's head. Anything else is a plus right now. I started making the walk back to the hotel when I heard a bike bell ring behind me. That was strange, I thought, but hey, other people. I moved to the other side to let the guy go through, and I hear the chime again. And then again. It was getting louder and louder. He really wanted me out of the way, so I stopped to press myself up against the building to give him as much room as possible. I could hear the wheels on the ground. I heard the brakes engage, and then I heard the bike skid to a stop. I looked around, but I still couldn't really make him out. There was a shadowy figure on the street itself. He spoke to me in a voice not unlike somebody doing a really bad impersonation of one of the kids from Disney's Newsies. Excuse me, sir. Are you Andrew Cooper? He'd ask. That depends. What do you need with Andrew Cooper? I have a telegram. Telegram for Mr. Cooper. A telegram? Who the hell still sends telegrams? Look, sir, you're going to take it or not? 
Yeah, actually, I'll take it just for the novelty of it, I guess. I took the envelope out of the kid's hands. Do I... Do I tip you, or... Don't worry, sir. He said you got enough problems as is. And off he rode to the foggy darkness once again. I can only express puzzlement bordering on alarm. Well, I was never one to get a letter and then not read it, so I opened up the letter right there on the street and tried to make out as much of it as I could in the darkness. Unfortunately, I couldn't really see anything. Just a scramble. A collage of ink and paper. But I could hear it. My eyes went over the nonsense shapes, but inside my head they formed words. My dearest Andrew Cooper, thank you for visiting the Dead Space Network. I hope you go ahead and enjoy your stay. Unfortunately, I feel like you will be here a long time. Not all at once, but overall. You're probably confused right off the top. What you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to get out and what's supposed to happen here. You were told you were supposed to see how you die, right? That's a bit of a misnomer. I apologize for letting this rumor get out of hand. So to stop it right here and now, you will see many wonderful things here. I want to tell you them all right now, but I feel that would spoil the fun. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to show you just a little bit of the first one. Just so you can get used to what's going on. Just remember, if things get too intense, and if you get too worried, if you get too scared, and you don't feel like you can handle this anymore, let me know and I'll show you the easy way out. You know how to find me. Now, as for your show, go to the corner of Martin Luther King Boulevard and 4th Street. And don't get too close. You can't stop it anyway. Well, that was ominous in all the fucking ways I hate. Whoever's sending me these things, I'm falling right into their trap. He's setting up a word-for-word, step-by-step plan to mess with me. And I keep doing it without even second-guessing it. Problem is, he just gave me my first actual instructions on how to move forward. So, of course, I'm going to follow a stupid plan. At least until I get enough information, and then I can move forward by myself. In all the time I had been here, I honestly thought I had seen everywhere Brightwall had to show. But I'd never actually been to this corner of the town. Which is even more surprising, given that it seems to be sort of a town square I had never seen before. There was a stage set up haphazardly, made out of mostly wooden planks and what seemed to be a gym mat. But hey, budget cuts, who am I to complain? Surrounding the stage was a crowd. Now this is the first time I'd actually seen more than one person here in the Dead Space Network. I still couldn't quite make out who was who, given that the fog was so heavy, but they all seemed to be moving in a sort of unison. Kind of like dummies with a base AI. They were just here to stand and cheer, and so they would stand and cheer. I decided to get an up-close look at one. The person closest to me was tall, about 40, and had nothing but a blank stare on his face. He wasn't so much looking at the stage as he was looking past it. His eyes sunk deep into his skull and they never blinked. Not once. The lady beside him had a very similar look, too. Whoever they were, they weren't human. Almost like robots, uh, automatons, or NPCs in a video game. I waved my hand in front of their face to see if I could get their attention, but he just kept looking straight on through. So, what are we watching? I asked, trying to get something out of them. Are we in line for something? Have you guys seen this band play before? I hear they're good. You play The Last of Us 2 yet? Nothing. It's like I wasn't even there. The only thing I could do was stand still and wait for whatever to begin to begin. A crackle of an amplifier. A feedback loop. Then a voice. A voice that sounded oddly familiar. But I couldn't place why. He almost sounded like a carnival barker. 
Step right up, step right up, ladies and gentlemen, and see the most outrageous, splendorous, and out-and-out -out amazing spectacle the Dead Space Network has to offer. Some of the most horrifying sights the human brain can comprehend. No therapist can save you. No surgeon can fix you. No lawyer can sue you. No, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you with weak constitutions, I implore you to avert your eyes and welcome to the stage the most despicable man God herself ever created, Michael Gunderson. Michael walked down the stage, waving and pandering to the crowd like he was a politician or a pro wrestler. The crowd cheered in unison, going through the same seven or eight frames of animation over and over again. He got to the center of the stage, where a big red X had been painted. The carnival parker began to speak again. Ladies and gentlemen, we all know why he's here. We all know what's about to happen, and we all know he certainly deserves it. But what exactly does he deserve? How does this go down? That's where you, the audience, comes into play. The louder you cheer determines what wild and wonderful thing happens to our contestant. And when you're ready... With vigorous aplomb, cheer your little hearts out and answer the question, what does he deserve? The crowd went nuts. I had never seen them act or react so loudly before. I wanted to fit in and not come off as a narc or an outsider, so I cheered along with them. For about 30 seconds, the cheering became louder and louder until eventually it felt like the ground was shaking. My ears were ringing. The carnival barker's voice sounded out again. Wonderful, wonderful, what a crowd, hey? What a crowd! Only in the Dead Space Network will you find a crowd like this. Well, folks, we've totaled up your votes. And you are loud. Very loud. Very, very loud. I think you all know what that means. The crowd cheered again. That means self-immolation! The crowd hooped and hollered. Michael stood on the X in the middle of the stage and acted like he had just won a car on The Price is Right, jumping up and down, clapping his hands. He turned around to hug somebody who wasn't there. He began to tear up a little bit. Michael, do you have anything to say before you get your prize? I just want to say that I feel that I deserve this. I really, really deserve this. It's about damn time. Am I right, people? The crowd roared their appreciation. Okay, folks, the time is near. This is what you've been waiting for. Flip is ready. I am ready. Andrew's ready. Are you ready? And then the countdown began. This concludes our broadcast day.